0: Creation care is important to Reverend Roger Hudson of Covenant United Methodist Church. That's why you can hear baby chicks in the background, as he and I talk about grace, love, and the circle dance of life in this interview. Welcome to Faves Forward, a podcast about how faith communities are staying connected during this coronavirus pandemic. I'm Tracy Simmons. (laughs)
1: Is Roger Hudson. Um, I'm the uh, pastor at Covenant United Methodist Church on the north side of Spokane. Um, been here, gosh, going into my fifth year, I think. I am married to my wife Carla. We have two sons. Um, both of them live and work in New York City at the moment. So you couldn't get, couldn't get any further from uh, from Seattle, Spokane than uh, the other side of the, uh, the nation. Yeah, I've been at. Uh, at Covenant Church uh, into my fifth year, and uh, just love the Spokane city and the environment yeah.
0: So you're from South Africa, is that correct? So how did you get to Spokane? Yes.
1: Yeah, uh, originally from South Africa, in fact, a fifth generation South African. Um, so my ancestors went down to South Africa in 1820. And uh, my father is also a United Methodist minister, or actually a retired bishop of the Methodist Church of Southern Africa. And uh, he is back in South Africa, along with the rest of my family. But he came over to do his uh, d at Perkins School of Theology in Dallas, Texas. Um, and so um, we ended up in Dallas for a while. He went back to continue serving there. Um, and I, um, I stayed on, having felt the call into ministry. So uh, entered seminary, also Perkins School of Theology at that stage.
0: It must be hard to be so far from your family.
1: Uh, you know half of uh, half of um, our lives, my life I've spent in South Africa and half here in the United States um, in Texas, where uh, Dad was studying. Um, he served a congregation and I met my wife in the congregation that he was serving. Um, we got married and we went back to South Africa right before Nelson Mandela was released. Um, so we were there for the actual historic moment when he uh, when he walked out of uh, uh, prison. But we were there for um, a good many years uh, before coming back to South Africa, uh, coming back to the USA um, so that we could spend some time with my wife's parents. And uh, I said to her, I said, Carla, I'll go back to the USA, but please don't make me go back to Texas.
0: <laughs> I can understand that. I, uh, yeah. I spent a lot of time in Texas. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So now you're the pastor of Covenant United Methodist Church. Um, Tell me about your congregation.
1: It's a wonderful congregation, Tracy. Um, It's filled with with very committed people, and we have a a good mix um, uh, theologically as well as politically. Um, If I were to to try and encapsulate and describe it, um, it perhaps would be tilted to the progressive side uh, in the main. So we um, have made a decision to be um, a welcoming church, you know, of the LGBTQ community. And we have uh, some wonderful members uh, of that community. We uh, are also very actively committed to mission. We, we try, we're moving back to the point where we can give 10% of our budget uh, to, to mission. And we actively support uh, projects like uh, uh, Shalom Ministries, the feeding program downtown. Um, along with Family Promise and with uh, the the food bank up here uh, in the north called uh, New Hope, um, so during these uh, during these strange days where we can no longer meet at the uh, you know for worship and for meetings, um, we have a digital worship uh, experience, um, and we just uh, at the end always just say to you know remember to do four things. Stay safe. Practice the dis- distancing. Wear wear face masks. Make two uh, two phone calls that day to somebody you know in the church, somebody you know well in the church, and somebody you perhaps never would speak to, just to sit in a foster communication, and uh, and also give, and not necessarily to the budget. Uh, but uh, every Monday and Tuesday, we have a, uh, a, a drop-off so right outside the church, and people are encouraged to go and buy groceries uh, and then bring them to us, and they're met at the curbside, we, and then we distribute the groceries to these very worthwhile uh, organizations in town.
0: Well, yeah, I noticed on your uh, Facebook page the other day, you had a list of things, household goods and food that you were uh, asking to collect. Uh, it's great that that hasn't come to a halt in this time.
1: Right. Yeah, no, I think it's just a, the, it's a measure of the the level of commitment that this church has historically had to be very active supporters of these very worthwhile mission projects.
0: So you mentioned the digital uh, worship, which, of course, uh, everyone is doing right now. So what's it like? I noticed you're going into the sanctuary and you're giving a sermon. What's it like to, to preach to an empty sanctuary and into a camera? <laughs>
1: Hey, I've listened to some of your other podcasts of ministers and so I've been intrigued just to, to hear their answer to the same question. Um, at first, it was it was really strange because my wife and I simply would go into the uh, into the worship space and uh, we would do our thing. Carla would do the little children's message, and I would do my message. But we we try to choreograph it um, so that we have um, some beautiful pipe organ. We don't have a pipe organ, but we have this beautiful pipe organ. So if somebody weren't to, to have visited Spoke, uh, Covenant United Methodist Church uh, and only visited with us online, they must think we have a beautiful pipe organ, but we actually don't. <laughs> so, so we're just trying to establish, um, you know, a team in a, in, a, in a positive sense, kind of worship worship service. Uh, we begin with some music of a favorite hymn um, on, the, on a pipe organ. Uh, we light the candles, and then we go straight into the gospel reading, um, a welcome and a gospel reading. Um, and then we have a beautiful, we have a very creative music director, uh, Brian Swenland, and Brian spends a lot of time um, doing some amazing compositions. I mean, we've had, um, I jokingly said to him after one of his uh, creative works, I didn't know that his mother had four four quadruplets. You know that he had three brothers. Poor lady. <laughs> but he did this amazing uh, scene where he literally sang four-part harmony and played the piano. So he did some very crazy. So we, you know, light the candles straight into the gospel. Have a have a beautiful music uh, opportunity. Uh, no, sorry, children's message, music opportunity, uh, and then message, uh, and then prayer, and then we extinguish the candles to the same pipe organ uh, music. As well, so and we've had some positive feedback, but uh, you know it's it's not the same as worshiping um, in space. But we've had, you know, a lot of the older folk um, who perhaps are practicing social distancing much more so than the younger folk. Um, they they especially um, are expressing their appreciation for being able to worship online. The strangest thing was to have Holy Communion you know, online. So we just encourage people to have uh, bread and grape juice um, and then at the appropriate time uh, they administer it to each other or just simply to themselves.
0: I was going to ask about that because I saw this last weekend you did the Holy Communion. Is that something you do every week?
1: No, no. Um, most Methodist churches um, you uh, will have it once a month. Uh, we have it every first, uh, first Sunday of the month. Uh, but a lot of churches, in actual fact, are moving to celebrating the sacrament of Holy Communion um, on, a, on a weekly basis.
0: Why is that, do you think?
1: I think it's just a, a wonderful means of grace <clears throat> um, where one, uh, one can, um, can do, uh, you know, engage in a practice um, where one can commune with the divine. Um, and we all, we all need means of grace, uh, need practice means of grace as often as we can.
0: Absolutely, especially like you said, right now. You mentioned your your music and I've I've seen this with so many congregations. It seems like with this digital experience the musicians in their church are really shining, they're really stepping up and doing amazing things
1: yeah that 's certainly the case with brian um, i, I don 't obviously have opportunity to see too many other churches doing the same thing because i i 'm not on online as much as you are, but I need to do some some surfing sometime just to see what people are doing yeah I think the the key for me, Tracy, is to try to do something which isn't um, isn 't too long. you know it has to be streamlined and it has to flow very quickly. I have looked at some some colleagues' um, online experiences. Um, and learn from from all of us as we try to to adapt to the online presence. Uh, but if the flow, establishing a fairly quick flow, um, and uh, don't make it too long. Don't have perhaps too much participation, uh, but just you know, move from beginning to end uh, in a fluid and as fluid a way as.
0: Well. So I've been doing a lot of uh, I think what a lot of people are doing, which is kind of church surfing on Sundays. We're kind of scrolling through the, the Facebook feed. I watched uh, one one sermon this weekend and it was fascinating to see the dialogue that was happening in the chat function as church was going. And I don't, that's kind of a new experience too is to type to each other <laughs> during a sermon and have a conversation.
1: I know. And in the old days, of course, you know, having those side conversations would be considered rude. Um, but this is, this is the new day we live in. And of course they can instant fact check you as well by just Googling and so on. So
0: <laughs> That's true. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. So I noticed this Sunday, your sermon, you had the music and you had a, a montage going um, of the protests that are happening. Was that your something you uh, coordinated with your worship leader?
1: Yeah, no, that was just Brian. Um, he, uh, or not just Brian, but that was Brian's creativity at work um, and no coordination at all. And I, I'm always amazed how there's this synergist synergy between what he does and what is happening, um, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the country um, and the focus in terms of the lectionary text and so on. So it just worked, worked perfectly.
0: And what are you talking about right now in your church with everything that's, that's going on in the country? What are your sermons focusing on?
1: Yeah, I, I preach from the lectionary, Tracy. So um, I don't know, you might have picked up if you watched my, uh, our, our service on Sunday that I'm very big on the lectionary. And I love Brian McLaren's redefinition of the liturgical year. You know, his focus is on love um and um he just uh so i made the point that we we we're emerging out of this the great 50 days of easter where love has triumphed um in in christ um and of course the great 50 days ends uh with the with ascension sunday as he ascends to be uh with the with the father so, so to speak um and and or rather it ends with 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 pentecost you know, or Pentecost actually uh, launches us into this long season of Tide. Uh, Pentecost is redefined by, um, very excitingly and creatively by Brian, as to hearing the call of the spirit, the spirit um, in love. Um, yeah, I... I I'm a strong believer in narrative. So I love to preach from the lectionary because the lectionary is very much focused on the story uh, of Christ's coming, his birth, his death, his resurrection, and of course, the founding of the church. Um, and I think we're, we're living in a um, during a very exciting time within Christendom. There's a lot of rethinking that is taking place um, and that needs to take place if we're going to find ourselves relevant. Um, and Christ, of course, always is relevant uh, to what is happening in the world. But I think the church, to a degree, uh, is trapped in the past. And we need to now intentionally look to the future uh, and and creatively try to understand how God's Spirit is calling us to be active and to present the good news in that future. So as I focus on the uh, the lectionary year, I, I tell the story as we celebrate it according to the liturgical seasons. And, of course, we end at the great 50 days of Easter, and uh, I use Brian's articulation of the liturgical year, um, and he describes Easter as celebrating the revolutionary power of death-defying love. And I think that's the message of Easter, is that the the Christ's resurrection um, defied the power uh, of death. Um, and in Jesus's day, of course, it was the Roman, the Roman occupying powers. And rather than return violence for violence, Jesus willingly goes to the cross, and he breaks that cycle of violence. Um, and that continues in the community that he leads, that he leaves behind, and that uh, that rises up as the church. So, celebrating the revolutionary power of death-defying love, that ends with Ascension Sunday, which was May twenty-fourth. Jesus rises to be with the Father, but he says, you know, but stay, stay in Jerusalem. Um, uh, until you are clothed with power from on high. And of course, that's Pentecost. And uh, Brian articulates Pentecost as a calling to be filled with the spirit, and not just with the spirit, but with the spirit of love. So, death defying love uh, is the great resurrection. And now, the Pentecost is that's, you know, be filled with that same spirit of death defying love. Um, and, and of course, that launches us into the long green, liturgically colored green season um, of uh, Kingdom Tide. And uh, once again, Brian helpfully describes Kingdom Tide as being challenged to celebrate and express love in new ways. And so the big question I'm, I'm asking myself and asking my congregation, as well as Christendom, is how are we challenged to express love um, uh, boldly in new ways as we move further into the 21st century? Um, and there's a number of things that we're going to have to, as Christians, going to have to come to terms with in terms of what we just got wrong in order for us to be able to, to, to be a loving presence moving into the future.
0: Sounds like a, a very powerful and timely message.
1: Yeah, one hopes so, um, but you know, it's not easy to try and live out of the story and to, to present it in in ways which you discern. Um, other people are quite accurately um, encouraging us to look at um, because I think a, a lot of us in, in within Christendom, uh, progressive and, and conservative, get stuck in a rut we, we like the way it's always been, um, and that closes our ears and our hearts to something fresh and new. So while certainly it can be exciting for me, and for some, it's not exciting as exciting as I wish it was for everybody.
0: Sure, and 2020 is definitely <laughs> forcing us to, to change some things and look at things differently, isn't it?
1: Yeah, very much so. During this, this uh, lockdown time, it's been tragic for so many people. Um, you know, death, uh, loss of jobs, um, people tested in the extreme, obviously. Um, but for our family, it's been somewhat of a gift because both of our sons came home. One son came home with, with a girlfriend um, and um, who he seems to be very serious um, about. Um, so it was a gift in the sense that we were able to reconnect uh, and meet this young lady uh, for the first time and get to know her uh, as well. Um, but during this lockdown, I spent a lot of time in my garden and you know, getting chickens is, is one of the things uh, that has been a, been a part of that. But uh, I'm trained in permaculture design, uh, which has an ethic uh, built into it. Permanent agriculture and permanent culture is, is, is what permaculture design means. And it has an ethic built right into it, you know, care for creation, care for people, and give away surplus. And so it's the the garden that you design permaculturally is a garden where you try to practice sustainability. In other words, you try to to, to live nonviolently, beginning with the very earth, with God's creation in and of itself. Um, And so um, one of the principles is if your garden needs it, your garden supplies it. Um, and so you don't buy ideally fertilizers, um, but you'd have designed a system. In this case, chickens for me will scratch in the straw that I put in, into the, into the base of their cage, uh, and um, my table scraps go into a composting bin. I'll probably feed my, my chickens them as well, and that'll go onto my my growing beds. And so you 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 join the circle dance. Uh, of life as the creator designed it to be uh, in your own home, the way you live your lifestyle. Um, And I think not being as busy uh, and having time uh, to do some gardening has enabled me in a sense to kind of bring together my lifestyle uh, with my faith in terms of creation care and just joining, as Re- Anton Rublev says in, in his icon of the Holy Trinity, you know, the perichoresis, join the circle dance of life with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, when you join that circle dance, just know that you will meet every other person on creation and every other other thing in creation. We're all part of that circle.
0: Mm, I love that. And I know the, the few conversations you've had, creation care has come up, and I can, I can tell that's something that's very dear to your heart.
1: Yeah, it it feeds my soul. I've got two little bird dogs as well, and so recreationally, I I go out regularly with with them. In fact, they take me out, insist on going out, and they walk me. I don't walk them, but we go out and they they point birds, and I shoot with the with the with a video camera, you know. So we have great fun.
0: How is your church involved with creation care? I I saw something on your Facebook page about Eden's Garden. Is that uh, what is that?
1: Yeah. So we have um, Eden Community Garden. We, we are very fortunate to have um, a sizable property, and uh, two acres were totally undeveloped when I arrived. Um, and as I was arriving, there was an initiative to, to begin uh, to establish a community garden. We have some very talented gardeners. Uh, David Yarbrough is a master gardener. He's a retired Baptist minister as well. Um, And he and Barry Caralfa really have led uh, a very, very capable team. And we have a wonderful community garden called Eden Community Gardens right now. We have a 30 plus beds, there's a fountain in the middle of it, there's a uh, kind of uh, an extensive gardening area which is designed to grow food for the local food banks so that we can get fresh food uh, to the local food banks, which, and we're serving two in this area, one in the Deer Park area and one right here in, in Um and um, yeah, it's just a beautiful space, and um, I think we have about fifty percent of those raised beds go to the community, and fifty percent at the moment go to the two church members. So it's become a way of serving the, the the community around us and getting to know them as well. And for the first time this year, we we actually had a blessing of seeds or uh, ceremony. And so once again, that's, that's part of the narrative is how do we weave the story into which we've been baptized, you know, Jesus is coming, his death, resurrection, etc. How do we weave that narrative into uh, creation's seasons of summer, autumn, winter, spring? Um, so in a sense, we celebrate um, God of all creation. Um, and uh, blend those two two narratives, and so we just gathered. And uh, I got, some, interestingly enough, I got some great seed, uh, wheat seeds from Grain Shed. Um, Sean down there bakes probably one of the best loaves of bread I think I have ever tasted. And and all of that wheat comes from local farmers uh, south of us. Um, and the focus there is on uh, heritage grains. Um, And so this group of farmers, uh, I think Don Schoenberg, Schoenberg is his name, he he started growing, collecting such seed and growing it and uh, saved enough where he could now scale it up. And so there are a number of farmers uh, down your way who are beginning to farm this heritage uh, wheat. Um, and then it's delivered to the grain shed. Uh, they grind it fresh every day and bake this beautiful bread. Um, and as Sean jokingly says, if there's a difficult way to do it, we do it. Um, so they get this, this, uh, beautiful seed. They grind it fresh each day. Um, they let it rise naturally. They don't use any artificial yeast. Um, and then they also, uh, uh, bake it, in a, in a wood, wood fired stove. So it's just, you know, it's local. Um, it's you're building soil by buying that bread rather than uh, industrial um farm bread, flour rather bread made with industrial farm flour. And, and so we got that special seed and we just invited people to come along. Of course, we couldn't have too many uh, because of the, uh, the lockdown. So there were about uh, 10 of us and uh, we blessed the seed, gave thanks um, and then planted it. So we have yet to, to harvest from that one field yet. But once again, linking creation with our spirituality, by this case, growing some flour, growing some wheat to make flour and to, to bake our own communion bread.
0: So that was during the pandemic when you had that blessing. And I'm glad that some of you were right. able to at least come together
1: yeah just a few of the gardeners and myself, and then we filmed it, and then we posted that on our Facebook page so that we could get other people to participate
0: mm-hmm. so your garden is active right now, even though i mean you have gardeners there right now, even though there 's a pandemic and
1: yes yeah very much so um it 's active and I think it's it 's defined as an essential service, essential activity so if, um we, we, we're we 're legitimately open on that on that front
0: yeah. Well, people are in need of food right now, for sure.
1: Yeah, and you know, there's uh, not everybody's there at the same time, Tracy. So um, social distancing is fairly easy to practice as long as you don't have group meetings or anything like that.
0: Of course, yeah. Now, um, churches have been given the okay to, to gather together again with limitations, of course. Is that something you guys are discussing or, or what's your plan to, to convene together again?
1: You know, um, the Wes- Wesleyans, uh, uh, those who kind of uh, kind of trace their origin to John Wesley and Charles Wesley, l- try to live by three simple rules: do no harm, do good, stay in love with God. And um, so we're letting those three simple rules guide us. Our bishop, Bishop Elaine Stanofsky, um says whatever we do, we've got to make sure that we ensure that the most vulnerable amongst us um, are safe and secure. So we're not rushing into it, Tracy. Um, she, together with the, the conference staff, um, have looked at best practices, and they've come up with, I think, four to five phases. Um, no in-person worship through the 15th, um, is the first phase which we're currently in um, and then we, we begin to move into the second phase but the second phase also uh, has no in-person worship uh, but um, I think it permits uh, some meetings uh, with a few more people than under phase one and then eventually we get to third phase where we do begin to have in-person worship uh, but with a, with a maximum number of people of 50. Um, and once, once we go from three through to four, four then takes away that restriction of a limit of 50 and you can have more than 50 with, I think with no limit, but of course, timing is going to be everything, and when those dates happen are have yet to be determined. But in but what we are doing at the moment is we're beginning to come up with a plan. The bishop has asked every United Methodist congregation to come up with a very intentional plan um, that does uh, put into practice uh, the three simple rules of of, of being cautious and ensuring safe practices. Um, and then we have to submit that to our local district superintendents before we then uh, move forward with in-person worship. So I think there's, there's there's a bit of both. People are keen to get back into in-person worship, uh, but there's a significant number um, also, particularly amongst our older folk, who just realize they've got to play it very carefully. And uh, so there's a there's some rush, but also no no, no rush as well. No, no pressure to try to get back to normal uh, prematurely.
0: Right, and you mentioned the um, the in person classes and stuff. I wanted to ask about. You have a program, of course, on YouTube right now, but uh, Pro- Project Pilgrimage. It's, so, this is an adult class that you're you're hosting, or can you explain that one for me?
1: Yeah, that, no, that's um, we have a member who's a Gonzaga associate prof. And he went on a pilgrimage to okay. um, the civil rights. Yeah, once again, timing is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he walked in the footsteps and visit, visited all of these, these, these sites where um, sites of, of the civil rights struggle. Okay. Um, and then has come back um, and will be doing an adult ed hour. So what you saw was a, a YouTube advertising. So we have a very, very good adult ed hour following worship every Sunday. Um, and that's continued, um, online during the, uh, the pandemic. Um, and we just invite people to click on to, um, and the, the team that, that, that plans it, uh, found some amazing speakers. Um, and so people then worship with us and then continue the routine of once they've gone to worship, they then go to adult ed. And so Tom Robinson is his name. A uh, wonderful guy. Tom is a member here and, um. He uh, had been on this, this pilgrimage, um, and he'll be sharing um, his experiences.
0: Okay, yeah, that is very timely.
1: Yeah, so we were advertising it, and it's not, not the complete. He and his da- daughter went on it. Uh, it's not the complete presentation, but he was whetting our appetite.
0: Gotcha, okay. Yeah. Are there other programs you guys are doing besides, so you have, you have church, of course. Uh, you have the garden, and you have the adult ed. Are there other programs that you've, you've had to transition or you're digitizing?
1: Yeah, um, and not digitizing, uh, but making sure that it continues. The the one that we spoke about earlier was the mission that you know continued uh, mission support of the three major mission projects uh, that we do have. We also have a sister church um, down in El Salvador, and this started way back when um, we had a member here. Um, who was very concerned uh, about the safety of people down in El Salvador when they were going through, um, when Bishop Oscar Romero was still alive. So he organized a number of delegations to go down there and just to be present with vulnerable populations. And so we uh, developed this relationship with El Paisnel, a Lutheran church uh, in El Paisnel, um, and since that time, uh, gosh, going on 20 plus years now, um, we have sent uh, regular teams down there and um, we have an annual scholarship program where we raise funds and we pay the the school fees for 30 plus children um, in El now um we've just recently raised funds uh, and once again you know this is a wonderful team uh of uh, our folk who 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 just have adopted this this project um and um they have just been hit by a hurricane so a terrible flooding in addition to the covid virus um and we we're, we're in the process now of seeing how we can respond to to their needs so yeah once again just you know a very active congregation and mission
0: yeah sounds like it
1: the other project that we have going, um, if I may, Tracy, mm-hmm. is yeah. we, we have this um, beautiful mobile in the sanctuary. You know, we have two towers. Um on the sanctuary and um, they have these huge windows high up so they're modern towers not modern architecture not old architecture and um, we shine the liturgical colours you know through those two towers so that as you drive past us on the highway you can see by the colour what season is if if you know the liturgical year but in one of those towers we have a thousand plus white cranes um, surrounding a hundred plus red cranes now. And every time there's a mass shooting, we have, we, we fold another red crane. Um, we have quite a few people of Japanese uh, American ancestry uh, as part of our congregation. And so um, we fold a, uh, uh, another, Patty Os- Oswald is, is, is our chief folder. And uh, she has taught us how to fold these beautiful peace cranes. So she folds one and then we write on that crane the date. Um, where the shooting took place and the number killed and the number wounded. And the the FBI defines a mass shooting these days as three killed, not counting the shooter. Um, And so, gosh, we started at 80 and we're well beyond uh, 100 now, um, as the number of mass shootings just seems to continue to escalate. But that's a very, very meaningful way for the congregation just to visually offer up a prayer, but also note that another shooting has happened as we pray for some kind of resolution um, to, to that scourge um, that is happening in the nation.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a very powerful visual.
1: It really is, yeah.
0: And that kind of relates back to what I wanted to ask you about your personal life. So with the mass shootings that are going on and now with with these protests that are becoming violent, I noticed on your bio and the website, you talk about growing up in extreme violence. So. Um, in South Africa. So how is all of this connecting for you? You
1: know, I, I did. I experienced some extreme violence when I was in South Africa and it, it had a huge impact on me, both personally, but also professionally. Personally, um, I just grieved that what I saw could be done by people uh, to other people and professionally kept asking myself, you know, we follow the Prince of Peace. Uh, how is it then that we are so uh, ill-equipped to be peacemakers? And so that's become the almost a, a professional and personal quest for me, is how do we disciple, how do I disciple myself in the peaceful ways of Jesus Christ. Um, And and how could we begin to disciple all Christians to the understanding that Jesus was nonviolent? That's just a non-negotiable. He chose not to fight the Romans or the the Sanhedrin, um, rather uh, to love even his enemies and to surrender his life. Um, And the early Christian church got that. Um, and uh, since uh, since Constantine, of course, we've we've rationalized violence back into into Christianity, and I just don't think you can. But then the question becomes: How practically do we help um, each other uh, as Christians uh, understand that Jesus was nonviolent, and how do we equip? Uh, uh, how do we help equip um, ourselves with a spirituality? that enables us to be nonviolent in everything that we do. So that's my quest. I don't have um, particular answers, uh, but I've been working on a few things in terms of, uh, we've got Tai Chi um, um, at at Covenant, um, and I was trained in Aikido, um, which is a nonviolent form of martial art in South Africa. Didn't get very high, but just wanted to explore it. Um, because it's a really tough um, you know, form of martial art. started by a Japanese man by the name of Moriai Ueshiba. And he was um, one of the, uh, he was a Japanese uh, martial artist who, who was recognized probably as the premium martial artist during leading up to the second world war in Japan. Um, and he would be invited to train the Japanese military And interestingly enough, when Japan decided to go to war, he said, no, war is not the way to do it. And he turned his back on the way of war and developed Aikido as a martial artist's way to to turning the enemy into a friend. So um, how does one potentially integrate uh, a physical practice with a spirituality of nonviolence? But perhaps Aikido can be a physical technique to do it. Um, and then as Christians uh, begin to learn Aikido, perhaps we can, we can bring with us the spirit of Christ, the nonviolent spirit of Jesus, uh, and integrate it with a physical practice uh, of, of, uh, of Aikido. Much as, as uh, Martin Luther King Jr., he... Uh, he was electrified when he attended a lecture, I think it was by Mordecai Johnson, if I, if I remember correctly, uh, and the, the lecture was on uh, Mohandas Gandhi. Um, And he left there and read every book he could on on Satyagraha, Gandhi's method, nonviolent method. Um, And then later on, uh, Reverend Dr. James Lawson of California kind of uh, reminded him of the Isaiah 53 text of the suffering servant. And so that's when it came together as my reading, Roger Witherspoon writes a book on King's kind of evolution towards nonviolence. Um, It came together that um, the method that King advocated was Gandhi's, but the spirituality was Christian out of the Old Testament, interestingly enough, which was, and of course, the suffering servant was very much lived uh, out uh, by Jesus. So anyway, working on that, and my question is practical, how do we... Uh, Particularly as men, as boys, um, Tracy, you know, we are prone as men to perhaps be more violent with the perpetrators on many fronts. Can we acknowledge, number one, that men want to be king of the hill? You know, little boys on the playground want to be king of the hill. We can't pretend it's not there. We can't just expose them to one teacher, uh, one, one sermon saying, blessed are the peacemakers, you know, or turn the other cheek and expect them suddenly to be nonviolent. So can we acknowledge that men particularly have an inclination to being warriors? Um, and how do we, working with that, offer a holistic practice, which leads us to the point where we can embrace the loving way of Jesus? Wow. And that's why I love McLaren so much. He's articulating the liturgical year in terms of love, you know. And so, as we move into this season um, of Kingdom Tide, this long, long season, which goes from now, Trinity Sunday, all the way to the first Sunday of Advent, he defines that as we're challenged to celebrate and express love in new ways. And so, personally and professionally, I'm saying, gosh, you know, where we have just had the murder. Uh, police murder of uh, a black man up in Minneapolis. Can we carpe diem seize the day um, and uh, really express love, the love of Jesus, in new ways? We've got to integrate nonviolence into the Christian witness; otherwise, we are missing uh, missing what Jesus taught as a church.
0: I think that you're right. It takes practice and intention.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and acknowledging the shadow that's in us. You know, on an ongoing basis. I mean, just this morning, I, I go regularly to our sanctuary, and uh, <clears throat> I was the, the place where I was in South Africa it was known as Indaleni, and that's where I I saw so much uh, of the violence that I did, and 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 I don't want to embellish that too much, simply because you know what I've seen is nothing compared to what so many soldiers have seen and, and other people have seen, and so so that's just my my way of saying it. It had a huge impact on me. But um, I, I have two samurai swords, wooden ones, um, which are used in practice. And I've uh, used one as the upright and the other one as the horizontal to form a cross. And what holds them together is kind of like a, a, a pool table s- setup of the walls. You know that triangle? Mm-hmm. Um, And it was made for me by a top gun fighter pilot at my previous congregation. So um, the two swords then become the cross and they're held together um, by the Trinity as symbolized by uh, that triangle. And I always end my exercise time, my time of contemplation and exercise, which includes some sword work um, and some Joe work. I always end by returning the horizontal sword. And just say I sheath the shadows, the shadow side of my, myself in a love, namely Trinity, in a love that is stronger than death. And so, how do we, ritually speaking, you know, in, and and with the intentionality which you which you're referring to, how do we acknowledge the shadow in us and regularly turn it over uh, to the God of Love, so that we can be transformed and live transformed lives.
0: I think that's a, a great message for today. Thank you. Yeah,
1: yeah, you bet, yeah. <laughs> and it's particularly appropriate now yeah, during the season. Um, I, I, I'm just so inspired by McLaren in a challenge to celebrate and express love in new ways. That's, our, that's the church's agenda at this time, uh, post Minneapolis, uh, and that's specifically the season between now and when Advent starts again. And so in a sense, I wanna challenge all my colleagues, guys, gals, um, how, do we, how do we celebrate and express love in new ways? You know, we cannot do things like we used to do. Uh, there are new challenges that desperately need to be, to be met uh, with the
0: good news. That was Reverend Roger Hudson talking about the call for Christians to live nonviolently. Thanks for listening to Faves Forward, which you can find on our website, SpokaneFaves.com, or on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We're in the middle of a membership drive. Anyone who signs up to be a monthly Spokane Faves donor gets a free t-shirt. It's a great way to help us keep this podcast going. To sign up, visit FavesMembers, that's F-A-V-S, Members.com. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.